We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Well, welcome back. Monday, October 25th, 2021. Our phone number off the top here, 602 I had a lot of requests um, uh, and compliments on my uh, monologue in the first hour. Uh, if you missed it, uh, rather than just repeat it on a, on a third hour, I will um, I will remind that all, epi- all all parts of all episodes, including interviews, you name it, are available at our uh, website nine sixty thepatriot.com. While you're there, by the way, take a look at this amazing event. I think it's the event of the decade. I I, I can't think of anyone else I'd rather hear right now. We're doing this event, America for Which It Stands, November 16th at the Orpheum Theater. Dennis Prager, Charlie Kirk, Larry Elder. I'll be there as well. Dennis Prager, Charlie Kirk, Larry Elder, November 16th, America for Which It Stands, defending America in an age of authoritarianism and censorship. Go check out uh, our website for tickets. If you become a Patriot Insider, you get a discount on those tickets. It'll be a great gathering for a good cause. And I say that as as I'm just saying that I'm thinking it is a great gathering for a a great cause. Uh, The cause is America and freedom and a great gathering because it's freedom minded Americans and patriots who will be there and some of the best spokesmen um, and and argufiers with the left uh, will will be leading it. And, and I say great and great, but but isn't it tragic that we need to do these things? In a sense, it's a tragic thing that we need to do these things. Radio stations, which is really the last institution, um, the last institution that I know of that is soaked in and out throughout uh, with the sentiment that freedom matters, uh, matters more than the state matters more than the state edict when they are irrational, particularly. Um, we're, we're one of the only institutions that represents that perspective, and thus we feel obligated to produce these kind of events, get the message out as strongly and as widely as possible, while at the same time letting you know that you're not alone, letting you know that though the culture tells you you're crazy, Sometimes, as Edgar Allan Poe pointed out, the inmates do take over the asylum. The inmates can take over the asylum. And then it becomes a question of which one is the crazy one, which one is the doctor, and which one is the patient. Right now, we're all treated as if we're patients. When uh, not so long ago, we understood, we were understood to be the physicians. That is to say, freedom of speech civil liberties, individual rights. These were the medicines that cured our not just souls, but others as well. These were, in other words, 
the 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 kinds of things that the kinds of the kinds of sentiments and beliefs that suffused the country from top to bottom. It would not be controversial to speak of individual rights. I was noticing corporations and the change they have made uh, even since the 1990s. I was watching old episodes of uh, Firing Line. I was reading a book on a, a, a book on the show Firing Line, Bill Buckley's uh, show, which was the longest running public affairs show in the history of television. And believe it or not, it was the cheapest show of any ever made. <laughs> no makeup, no sets, no scenes, a guy, a clipboard, a microphone, a pen and a guest or two. And that was it. No backdrop. Anyway, um, you go back and watch some of these. Look at who the sponsors were. They were big, famous American companies. Big, famous American companies. They would no longer associate with fronts like National Review or William Buckley today than they would with Larry Elder. They have changed, like the schools. They have changed. And the only thing that really hasn't is us, we the American people. And it was interesting to think about in respect of institutions that are pervious and institutions that are impervious to the totalitarian mindset and assault that is taking place right now. Dave Chappelle, uh, in my monologue, in my monologue, I was talking about what I was addressing was President Barack Obama speaking over the weekend that we don't have time to be wasting on phony trumped up culture wars. He said the fake outrage that right wing media peddles to juice their ratings um, is uh, is what we're given instead of talking about serious problems that actually affect serious people. In other words, the things we're talking about, freedom of speech, resistance to resegregation and re-racialism in our schools, um, the kinds of things we're talking with, about with regard to our schools being the front lines now in the battle over the gender wars um, – I was thinking about I was thinking about that last one particularly because I gave in my opening monologue series of examples of things that we're talking about that Obama doesn't want to talk about. But particularly as he was in Virginia campaigning for Terry McAuliffe to be the governor, um, he was addressing what was going on at these school board meetings as trumped up, phony and uh, juicing the conservative or the right-wing imagination. And, and, and there's a lot of issues involved here. One of them, and arguably the most consequential of them, I get this, it of course would be the most consequential, is school districts having covered up a rape by a transgender student. How is that a culture war? It's a culture war because the defense of covering up was not an arguable point. It was not an arguable point. We have reached a point in our society, at least to those who wanted to cover it up. It was certainly an arguable, uh, arguable point to the father and the parents of that daughter who was raped and every other parent, I would think, in that school district. B but this is part of the issue. And this is why it's a culture war, because the left has turned an adjective, transgender, 
into something more important than a verb, never mind crime, which is rape, as they have changed, let me use the word transmogrified, so many other things. So many other things. So Dave Chappelle has been, uh, you know, a very, very well-respected comic. Uh, I, I don't know much of his work because of limited time and life is short. And, and, and so I haven't invested a lot into his routines. But I've read a lot about him over the years, a lot about his stuff. And I've seen some of it. And he, of course, is being put through the ringer over at Netflix because of a special stand-up special he did where transgenders were part of his um, bullseye. And, uh, you know, I think of it as really no different than when, you know, Don Rickles uh, or um, Joan Rivers or other comics. My God, there'd be more than I could say in this hour who have made fun of conventions, political correctness. Um, My goodness gracious, uh, George Carlin, uh, Lenny Bruce. Again, I could go on and on. But anyway, my point is this. Chappelle uh, became embroiled at Netflix. There was an employee walk out at Netflix over the fact that Netflix dared to air this comedian's stand-up special, which um, targeted humorously by Chappelle's standards and perhaps by the audiences. I don't know the skit. Uh, the transgender uh, uh, political correct ethos that we're living in. And it was led, this walkout, this protest at Netflix was led by one Ashley Marie Preston. Um, and the reason I know this is not only hearing some of the speeches, but from a news story um, uh, by a documentarian named Matt Orphalia. And this is a news story that will not be in The New York Times. It will not be in the Washington Post. It will not be anywhere except occasional talk radio that Ashley Marie Preston, the woman who led this protest against Dave Chappelle, is steeped in anti-Asian and anti-Mexican racism. And the tweets, if I could give you examples of, I would. They are in front of me. But guess what? Because... I know this to be a family show. I'm not going to read them. And because I know the FCC has regulations, I can't. But that should give you an indication that we're dealing in far beyond triple X territory here. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Racism against one, so long as the chief cornerstone of the political correct crowd is protected. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. This is kind of, yeah, I just, a small nice thing about this country, sort of, uh, that's missing. We talked with Tevi Troy last week about how Superman's uh, motto has now been changed. His creed has been changed from truth, justice, and the American way to truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. And we were talking about the creators of Superman who loved the idea of America as the haven and the safe place. They, watching what was going on with their relatives over in Germany, they they thought of Superman as someone who would, you know, stand up for the American way and conquer Hitler. That used to be the concept of the American way. And I just, I was thinking of this musician 
we don't we don't play. I think we have like two of their songs, and they only had maybe four or five really big hits. But Jay and the Americans, Jay Black, who fronted the band, um, passed away over the weekend at age eighty-two. Jay and the Americans was the name of the band. Jay Black was born David Blatt. The Americans, in other words, the backup band, was made up of Kenny Vance and Sandy Dean. They were born Kenneth Rosenberg and Sandy Yaguda. This is what it meant to be an American once upon a time. People of ethnic backgrounds wanting nothing more than to be seen as truth, justice, and American. I just think that's interesting. I, I think it's a good thing, obviously, and a good, and a, and, and a good sentiment about a bygone era. It's a sad sentiment that it's a bygone era. Rob is in surprise. Hello, Rob. Oh, hi, Seth. Sorry about the airplane um, <laughs> approaching Luke Air Force Base. I didn't know about Jay passing. Um, in the last week, uh, I lost an old friend from fourth grade through high school, and uh, his brother finally filled me in on what happened. He, he apparently got a stroke about six years ago and was in a nursing home and then in hospice, and then he just, uh, you know, half of his body, I guess the right side, had the stroke, and so his mind was right, but his body wasn't working, and then he finally just passed, which I thought was sad. And then I got another one from a Naval Academy classmate who was a Navy doctor who had passed away uh, the previous week, so I'm, you know, getting all this uh, sort of dying stuff. But I was, I was thinking about, uh, well, I guess as you get older, you think about this whole death thing, even though it's kind of depressing, but you got to face it somehow. And I, I ran across uh, one of the Naval Academy uh, uh, chat groups uh, who had mentioned that, you know, fentanyl, uh, which is that very destructive and deadly drug, is produced in Mexico. But they use chemicals that are shipped from China. Yeah. Okay. Now that's interesting because you know that means what we're dealing with. So, some of it is made in in China. Actually, a lot of it is made in China and flows through Mexico. Some of it, the material comes from China and is processed in Mexico. But China, China on most of our fentanyl deaths, like over, well over ninety percent of our fentanyl deaths, the uh, the the origin point is China. The flow-through point is the Mexican-American border. Yes. Well, yeah. And, and first of all, you know, it's killing about 100,000 Americans a year. And that's obviously uh, a bad thing, yet people are still using it. But, you know, Mexico is doing it for the money. I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, what, what the motivation for China is. It may be money. It may be sort of that asymmetric warfare thing. Um, and then over, well, I guess in 2020, uh, the number of deaths was like three times the number of fentanyl deaths in the previous three years. And yet, here we are in a situation where the government, as it is, such as it is, keeps the borders open and is doing nothing about this. And so, you know, what are we forced to conclude but that there must be people in power who are profiting from this? We don't know who they are because the media doesn't do its job ever. Um, and But that's very frustrating. And then, of course, when you look at COVID, I think about, you know, the leading causes of death in the U.S. alone, you know, number one is heart disease and yep. number two cancer. Yep. And we, we wonder, well, I wonder, uh, 
if, if that's true, yeah, and, and Mrs. Rob lost three people to, to those in the past, well, recently, in the past month. And so I, I just kind of wonder, you know, where the priorities are. Yeah, let's talk so about I, that. Let's, let's talk about yeah. that. First of all, yeah. uh, line, line, uh, question to the audience. I've, I've, I've been with a few friends lately at some hospitals, and I, and I bet their experience is like what, what I've seen, which is uh, how much harder and slower it is for non-COVID patients to get the tests and treatments that they need. It never used to be this long. They're holding people overnight because of cues. Uh, to get such things as MRIs and stuff. This is due in large part to the lack of staffing on the one hand and blocking all of that from happening in the normal course of any given year for about a year. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's not as if people had other health, didn't have other health problems before the year 2020 that required you know, tests and, 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 and diagnoses and admittances to hospitals. So my first question, right. first of all, so, so there's, there's, a, there's, not just, there's not just a pipeline and delivery problem with goods and, 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 and gifts and, 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 and packages off the West Coast. There's a delivery problem with services having to do with critical and medical care. Uh, in hospitals. That, that's point one. Point two, the interesting thing about COVID and death and substance use and death is the bulk of the population affected is a much different age category. It's a much different age category. If you look at the age breakdown of COVID deaths, even breakthrough ones, you're dealing with the 65-plus population, in extremists, the 70-plus population. With substance abuse or substance use deaths, you're dealing with far younger categories of people. You're dealing with the 20 to 55-year-old population. Is that, yeah. is that not a population we care about anymore? Are the young not yeah. a population we care about? That's 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 the first point, the, uh, or the second point. The third point is when you look at drug overdose death, drug overdose deaths in the United States, it's amazing how rapidly they have increased. They were under forty thousand, under forty thousand, still too high when Barack Obama became president. Mm-hmm. They've more than doubled. They've more than doubled. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I just sometimes wonder if we had given 10% of the attention to COVID, to the, that 10% of the attention that we gave to COVID to the substance use issue, if maybe that number wouldn't be approaching 100,000. Let, let me pick up with that and you when we come right back. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Robin, surprise, thanks for your patience, sir. We're talking about overdose deaths. Um, this is an exceedingly serious issue. I'll just recap my point, and then I'll turn it over to you. But uh, we we used to never see numbers like this. We're now over 93,000 substance use deaths from last year. We've never seen numbers like this. Uh, at the beginning of the Obama administration, we were at around 40,000 um, overdose deaths a year. We've more than doubled it, and it begs the question in my mind, if we had spent 3 to 5% of the attention and advertising and uh, hand-wringing and hair-pulling on COVID education 
uh, if we had spent three to five percent on that on drugs, might we have had lower numbers? Of course we would have. But also if we had sealed our border, also if we had been tougher on China. Anyway, over to you, sir. No, I, I'm, I'm with you on all, all of those points. I, I also find it, uh, you know, interesting, too, between both the heart disease and the cancers, um, both have, well, the American Cancer Society has been around forever. I think the American Heart Association has been around forever. And yet the numbers tend to be fairly consistent, you know, over a half a million you know, 599, 601, and 2020 for cancer, 659. Yeah, right, 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 uh, right. And, and so I, I wonder, and this is sort of like my same feelings with the ASPCA and the Humane Society of the U.S., um, there's organizations there that are supposed to be, you know, putting money into finding uh, cures for things like cancer. Yeah. And yet, you know, 99.9 of the cancer patients percent are are uh, getting either chemo or radiation or both. Mm-hmm. And I, I just I just have to worry that there probably is, you know, some sort of cure, if you will, you know, and I've, I've read a bunch of stuff about it from, uh, uh, you know, some, some people believe that uh, if you eat a certain type of food or if you stay away from a certain type of food, or if you drink pickle juice, or if you drink apple cider vinegar and all this kind of stuff to change your alkalinity level, some of that stuff might not happen. But again, the medical field just seems to be on this sort of, uh, I don't know, cruise control, where uh, whether it's fentanyl, well, that's a governmental thing, because I think that's tied to the border, and I think it's intentional, just like the open border, I believe, is intentional. For whatever nefarious reasons, those who are in power want it to be that way. But I also think that, you know, they're, they're, they've been talking COVID so much over the last couple of years that they've kind of <clears throat> forgotten about, uh, you know, some of the biggest killers in the U.S. Heart disease, which may have something to do with diet, may have something to do with exercise, may have something to do with genetics. And, and the same thing with cancer. By, by the way, same thing with COVID. Diet and exercise may right. have something to do with that, 78% of that, actually. Yeah. And then, of course, we have the suicide issue. Yes. Um, obviously, a lot of veterans um, in 2020, they said uh, it had dropped down from, like, 48,000 in 2019 to 44,000 in 2020. That's still an awful lot of people ending their own lives, and for what reasons? And with all the suicide hotlines out there with friends, neighbors, relatives that could reach out. And I know that there's uh, organizations that are trying to help, uh, well, the veterans especially, but also just anybody that, you know, and they're usually younger folks. um, And they're the ones uh, who really need uh, an awful lot of counseling, um, but apparently are feeling so hopeless that their lives don't feel like they're worth living anymore which I think is an incredible tragedy. Um, and, and yet, again, it keeps happening. Uh, and again, you know, between forty to 50,000 people a year kill themselves. I, something is, yeah, and I think a lot of it's cultural. I think a lot of it's just a feeling of hopelessness. And I think the current regime is not exactly encouraging um, everybody to be independent and American uh, and, Remember when uh, Donald Trump for, spoke about it, these deaths of despair in his inauguration, which I thought was a good thing to do because it highlights oh, sure. it and you use the bully pulpit. Do you remember how slammed he got? 
how how much how oh, much course. criticism he got for opening up on on a dark note. I, I mean, well, yeah, yeah, and, and yet it's, it's important because it's you know, it's it's the most important. Hold, hold the thought. It's it's hold the thought one second. I got to do a little Carly Simon and a little commercial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, don't usually keep uh, callers on this many segments, except that uh, we're in the middle of a, what I think is a, is a very important conversation that can't be dealt with in simply one or two segments. Rob, uh, your point about overdose deaths um, is is especially concerning in in the realm of COVID because we know now we know what. I was saying and a few others were saying in March and April and May of last year and getting censored for saying on YouTube and elsewhere has come to pass. The American Academy of Pediatricians and a group of uh, and the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry and the Children's Hospital Association just last week put out a report um, that, uh, that 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 suicide ideation attempts and ED visits for youth are on the dramatic rise as a result of the, I'm quoting from their report, physical isolation, ongoing uncertainty, fear, and grief have taken its toll on our youth. Emergency uh, department admissions rose by 24% for children aged 5 through 11 last year, 31% for children aged 12 to 17. A 51% range for suicide attempts among girls 12, 12 to 17. The, these, uh, you, you can continue to torture the children. You can. Or you can take what this country uh, has learned and apply it uh, to things that have worked in the past. We have gotten drug use down in the past through attention. Attention must be paid. Think of that from death of a salesman. Through lack of attention, I'm talking about the Obama years. You saw it escalate and escalate. Look at the line. It just takes right off in the Obama years. You see a small dip during the Trump years because attention was paid. And now we're at 93,000. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And and I think, you know. And by the way, most of that problems. starts, most all of it starts, well over 90% of it starts before kids graduate high school. Yeah. And so who are watching the kids right. you know, or, or paying attention? Right. I mean, the parents, the teachers. No, the we've harmed neighbors. kids to save, to save, to save a much older population. A much older yeah. population. And it hasn't yeah. even done a thing for that. Well, it yeah. hasn't done and a thing again, for I... that. How many people? Why do we have... More deaths this year than last, and this year isn't even over, from or with COVID. Well, that's a good point. And also, you know, and I hate to bring in, you know, what the government is doing about it, but, I mean, even public service messages on TV, um, I haven't seen anything about the social impact of, uh, you know, isolating kids because of COVID or wearing masks or anything like that. And I just wonder, well, why is that? Why Why is that? Why don't they... Why don't, you know, again, I don't like saying, well, the government must do something, but I would think that there would at least be some advertising going on uh, on television, radio to, uh, I don't know, bring people's attention to it, because maybe maybe that's the problem. Maybe a lot of people just aren't that aware 
of, of the impact and, and what's actually happened uh, to people in the past year and a half. I, I, I think, think that's right, though. There is a growing awareness because as just there is a growing awareness as there is with drug problems, it's beginning to affect people sure. that know people, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and just to let you know, I just, uh, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. The uh, uh, In Texas, they found illegal hiding inside of new cars that were being shipped on a train uh, in Texas. And uh, this is uh, the same area where the people have been uh, caught before. Now, how they got inside of the train or the cars is totally unknown. But, again, this is, that's just part of the illegal immigration problem. And, again, we're not doing a darn thing about it. You know, where where's our uh, no COVID is a very COVID is a very privileged disease and it's a very privileged problem. It takes every 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 aspect of the government and government's messaging and mandating on that. While everything that feeds part and parcel of the problem, the various parts and parcels of the problem get neglected, get neglected. And and so, I mean, if if if. If you want to talk about really doing something about COVID, really affecting the most vulnerable of the populations, even the ones seemingly le- more impervious to uh, to uh, to vaccine vac- vaccine therapies and vaccine prevention, then you would target the obese and you would target the elderly. Instead, people yeah. are jumping for joy that we're now going to start injecting eight-year-olds. Yeah, and that's that's just evil. That's yeah, and even younger. Um, and it's completely yeah five to eleven five to eleven yeah five year olds and that's where Americans especially the parents need to just stand up like they're starting to do in school boards and say enough and no and not put up with this because it's not right it's not going to help the kids they're in the lowest uh, risk category there is we go um, we go into yeah, we go into some of these things and I wonder if we ever get out of them anymore. You know, when when you have certain big cities that see, I'm thinking of places like Seattle or other major cities where the chiefs of police have resigned over defunding mm-hmm. the police statements, initiatives, and not getting backed by their mayors and city councils. Yeah, some of these, some of these, not Seattle yet, but some of these places realize they made a mistake. Some of these places realize, you know, we made men without chests and now we, we have uh, we have, you know, a, a, a rising violent crime problem. And, yeah. and we've uh, we've castrated the flock and, 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 and are surprised to find the geldings can't be fruitful. I um, I don't know if we have that ability to do it anymore. I don't know if society can look at these massive public policy errors that have cost lives and money and figure out that they did something wrong and it's now time to do the reverse. I think of welfare. I think of poverty. I think of crime. Of course, I think of substance use and abuse and overdose. I think of everything that seems to ail us, the border, everything that seems to ail us. At what point... Do enough Americans stand up like they do in some cities, but not enough, and say, you know, that defunding the police idea was a bad idea. You know, that that open border concept was a bad idea. You know, that leaving the drug issue alone and allowing fentanyl to flow through the border, that was a bad... I wonder if we still have what it takes 
to turn those things around or if all we can do is engage in minimizing and mitigating damage. Can we reverse it or can we only minimize and mitigate? Don't know. I wanted to get to this today. I'll pick up on it tomorrow. But the Rolling Stone magazine did a hit job on several members of Congress by conflating, deliberately conflating, the planning for the January 6th rally and what ended up being the January 6th riot from some persons from the rally and some who didn't go to the rally who engaged in breaching the Capitol. And they conflated it. They confused the two. So you would think that people like Andy Biggs were part and parcel of planning the riot when, of course, that would be the last thing Andy would ever engage in. He was, however, perhaps talking about going to D.C. on January 6th uh, for the peaceful part of the rally, like there are almost every week in Washington, D.C. In any event, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez reads this Rolling Stone story uh, probably inadequately and ineptly and not understand, or maybe she did understand what was going on here. And she writes, any member of Congress who helped plot a terrorist attack on our nation's capital must be expelled. Boy, we've moved from insurrection to terrorist attack. This was a terror attack. She doubles down. 138 injured, almost 10 dead. When did we ever have 10 dead? When did we ever have nine dead or eight or almost? Okay, you get what's going on here. It reminds me of something very much forgotten now from Thomas Jefferson in his first inaugural address. There is, he calls it, a sacred principle, a sacred principle that though the will of the majority is in all cases to prevail, that will to be rightful must be reasonable. That the minority possess their equal rights, which equal law must protect and to violate would be oppression. I want to talk about rightful and reasonableness tomorrow, because whatever the perceived mandate and majority of the Democrats have right now or believe they have, they have the levers of power, but they don't have any kind of corner on the market of, and in fact, I think have huge deficits in the reasonable part, and it's affecting the minority in America which is what the government was here to protect in the first place. I'm Seth Liebson. Until tomorrow, God bless you all and class dismissed.